How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 211. Ooh, it uh, drags it out a little bit. I, like I know. It, it, just, dipped, just it peaked this... and troughed. Yeah. It's good presenting Unlike right the crypto market, which is peaking hard right now. Ooh, Zeke with the modern day politics. I know. I know. Usually it's me saying something wacky and... <laughs> Pro capitalism and <laughs> it's just so. It's always funny though, right? So, oh, okay. So it has gone down a little bit. But why, Zeke? Why are you looking at the crypto market right now? Well, what are you doing? I did drop fifty dollars in crypto uh, oh in, guy, in November. Guy gets a full time job. He jumps straight into the. Fr- I did that crypto. in November before the full time oh, job. Oh, okay, okay. And <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's like it had been negative, negative, and it's just going down. And in the last week gone up like 30 the the thing i've purchased was at 55 dollars mm. it's gone up to 95 Ooh. so you know the gamestop situation yeah not quite the same thing. <laughs> quite no. i can't see it i can't see it going super high but hey guess what if i'm in in the bahamas in in a month you know what's happened there you go there you go. If, if the podcast just suddenly stops releasing, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a uh, you know that um whole docu series kind of teaches you that you really don't have to have any skills. <laughs> you can no, just... no, a lot of it's just luck of the draw. Yes, yeah, so. a doco that the uh, Netflix it was a Netflix one, correct? Yeah. Netflix miniseries. It could have gone a little further into the topic because I I remember that it was like it was yesterday. It was a very exciting time. Yeah, but yeah, it, it is what it. I actually, it just came up in my Facebook memories the other day. I shared something when Robin Hood like basically stopped allowing people to get in on that, and you could basically only sell shares. You can buy any, and I shared a Simpsons meme, and I was like, "Well, that's not the kind of attitude we he- have here at Robin Hood. <laughs> Take from the rich, give it to the poor. No way. No way. Oh, no, what, a, what a throwback." But Zeke, yes, Jake. There's plenty more to talk about on this podcast. It's actually it's certainly going to be a huge podcast. We had the Oscar noms coming last week. Yeah, actually, it was like two hours after we posted our last podcast. I mean, it was something, something fishy going on there. And there's quite a lot to talk about. A bit of controversy, but also a bit of a uh, bit of dibs because you and I two weeks ago made some bets on the Fableman's position in the Oscar noms. Mm-hmm. So we can talk about that all later in the show. Before we do any of that, Zeke, I'm going to present to you some fun trivia. For the film of the week. Yes. Would, would that be okay to do that, Zeke? Absolutely. Oh, excellent. I'm glad. Baby long. Baby long. <laughs> Damn it, I was going to make that joke at some point. <laughs> <laughs> film of the week, Baby Long, by Damien Chazelle, of course, based on a lot of real characters and real scenarios that happened in 1920s mm-hmm. Hollywood. As we trans- What actually happened in Singing in the Rain. Yes, exactly. A very dark, twisted <laughs> take on Singing in the Rain. My God, I like I knew that when this film took place and everything, but I, I didn't realize just how like intentionally singing in the rain esque this film yeah. was going to be, um, without getting too much into spoilers. But one of the things I found really interesting in terms of the the characters and who they're based on, the uh, director character Ruth Adler, played by Olivia Hamilton, major uh, Kelsey Janning vibes from BoJack, who is actually my favorite character in all of BoJack. Wow, is, is the director in that in that show? She's awesome. Similar vibes here. Now she's actually based on the real life director Dorothy Asner. As yeah, Asner. Which I haven't seen any of her films, unfortunately. Again, she mostly worked in the twenties and thirties and was part of that, you know, transition period from the silent films to the talkies, uh, which this film goes deeply into. But one thing that I thought was interesting because I thought this exact same thing during one of the scenes in the film, like oh my god, if only they had a boom pole. Turns out. This director is the 
basically the main reason why boom poles became a thing because she requested that mics be attached to fishing rods so that actors could not have to rely on their uh, marks and they could kind of move around freely so I thought that was something I was very actively thinking about while watching this film and it turns out that's who that character's based on there you go so there you go very that's interesting a very nifty little inside Hollywood film but I yeah. guess this is film is the the Hollywood very, uh, very inside baseball this film <laughs> In a lot of I, ways. I guess they haven't came up with a, a you know how you've got black exploitation films. They haven't come up mm. with the Hollywood exploitation sort of <laughs> m- it's they genre. Got, they've completed the trifecta, Zeke. Once yeah. put time in Hollywood, licorice pizza, and, and now this film. Starploitation? Starploitation. <laughs> Modern Hollywood Dr. directors. Dr. Zeke. Self proclaimed doctor. There has you declared go. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll write a letter out to. to Dr. Zeke. Yeah. Would that be okay? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that officiates it. Well, believe it or not, Jake, mm. this was not a film that Damien Chazelle has come up with in the last couple of years. Mm. In fact, he began writing the film in 2009, which, you know, Ooh. is strange to think about because obviously Chazelle's career doesn't really kick off or become get that sort of mainstream pull into a whiplash, which is 2014. So, five years prior. So, clearly... You know, we're seeing Chazelle's affinity for Hollywood. Mm. And that's come out in the forms of, of two of his, what, four major feature films in the last yeah. decade. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because the other one you're referring to, La La Land, was also like one that he wanted to do early on, couldn't afford to do it, so made Whiplash. So it was like both of these films kind of fit into that category of, of wanting to have made it for 10, 15 years, could finally afford to do so. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so. Interesting. Be interesting to talk about in the second half of the show. Very mm. divisive film. It is very, it is a very divisive film. Um, I can totally see why. It's going to be interesting to talk about. So but Jake. with that in mind, yes, yeah. you can ask me, Zeke. I was going to ask go you. Go on your eleven hundred films to watch. I'd say no. I'd say no, and and not not to tease what I think of the quality of this film, whether I actually like it or not. Um, in some ways, I'm still kind of figuring that out. But <laughs> the reason I say no is because I feel like. I mean, yes, we've already joked about this being a very dark, cynical version of Sinning in the Rain, but I also think Sinning in the Rain is a much more elegant way of talking about this this era of Hollywood. Even if it may not be the most truthful way, I think it's it's easy for us to lean into, oh, well, the more, the more screwed up, dark version, the X-rated version of the story must be the more realistic one. Probably true. But doesn't mean it's the better version of that story or the telling yeah. of that story. I don't know. I, I got to digest. What about you, Zeke? That's a really interesting point that we mm. can talk about in the second half of the show. No, no. Mm. no. I think in this starploitation subgenre, <laughs> in all seriousness, you know, you've got films that talk about neglected artists, fall from grace, um, the dark side of Hollywood, and yep. they they date back to as far as Sunset Boulevard, which is, mm. what, in the same year as Singing in the Rain? 1952? So Yeah, within... It might be 1950. But you're right, within at least a year or two. So yeah. if you've had that dark side of com, you know, of Hollywood story being told as mm. far back as the 50s, which is now 70 years ago, yeah. it's you sort of sit there and go, okay, well... You have to be giving me something different. And, you know, in all seriousness, a couple of years ago, Once Upon a Time on Hollywood did provide us with something different and mm. unique. Um, and even that film was, you know, not, not like the highest rate regarded Tarantino film. But sure. 
um you know we certainly we talked about it on the show we we were we quite enjoyed it mm. thought it was quite a well fun... I, i've had a really weird like digesting period once when diamond hollywood I, I absolutely love it and i definitely couldn't say the same when i first saw it when we first covered it on this podcast um but to that point it's like there is that element of fairy tale to that film where it actually does have a shockingly happy ending it actually kind of ignores all the horrible tragedy mm. of things that happened in that time period yeah. Particularly to, to Sharon Tate and all that. We, we, we don't want to spoil too much of that film, but they're very comparable films <laughs> for many reasons. Yeah. So, um, no, but we can talk about it in the second half of the show. Mm. Jake, what have you caught in the last week? I've caught quite a lot, actually, Zeke. Oh, thank God. One I'm of very, us has. <laughs> I'm very proud of myself. Um, I'll rattle through some of these because I don't have a lot to say about many of these. I did catch the third episode of The Last of Us. I feel like I am just going to talk about it every week at this point. Um, yeah. and, and it's getting to that point where... It is very, very hyped. People absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. It is a very great show. But I always, every week, I'm always adding that but at the very end. But I'm worried about this thing. I'm, I'm just I'm worried about that thing, and which is weird for me to say because, like, the show, it's ongoing. You know, it's it's not like I'm seeing trailers and the final products around the corners. Like, this is the final product. I'm just seeing it, you know, over the period of, of several weeks. But... And I will say, people absolutely adore this third episode. This was the one everyone was talking about weeks in advance. Of like, this is going to be like the recontextualization of these two characters that were part of the game, but nowhere near in the capacity that this show does it, where it kind of almost rewrites their entire backstory. Well, not rewrites, but sort of recontextualizes it. And, and yes, the fate is a little different from how the game plays out. I have no problem with the deviation at all, and I think what they did was fantastic with these characters, with Bill and Frank in particular. I'm not going to spoil too much. I think you should really watch the show. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I've justified myself enough to get binge back. So, oh, excellent. Um, obviously, with the Succession trailer dropping. Yes. So, and knowing Looks I haven't good. even seen it, I don't need to see it because I'm going to watch the season. So yeah. it doesn't matter. No, exactly right. Um, no, binge is a place to be, man. Get all the HBO. It really stuff, is. But... It's really coming a quick, uh, quick favorite, quick up at the top of the echelon. I mean, I've been living on Stan for the last couple of months. Mm. Netflix hasn't been getting my attention, that's for sure. <laughs> There's not too much on Netflix to be jumping on. But, yeah, I think, like I said, I, I love what they did with this. It's, it's a great, like, hour of television, which is what everyone's been talking about. But, here comes the but. I'm also worried where I really hope they mean it when they say this is the biggest, biggest deviation in the game. Because as much as I love the story and the, I hate using the word content, but, like, the, the content of what the show's doing... The change also means there's no plot. And removing Joel and Ellie from the whole Bill storyline is like, it's very interesting and it's a different take, but it solidifies two things. Number one, I really hope they get on back, back on track plot-wise because the whole thing is the building relationship between the two main characters. And if you're going to keep doing episodes that deviate onto these other stories, which I said in the very first episode, I love they do it because they can view the world from different lenses and you don't need to be in the player in Joel's perspective the whole time. That's mm -hmm. cool. I'm glad they're utilizing the ability to jump to storylines. But The Last of Us is still a plot about two characters that needs to play out. And if they keep deviating from it, then you're going to start losing that plot. So again, this is like something I'm worried about. I'm sure it's going to like come mm. back to it. I think I saw the preview for next week's episode. I'm like, okay, this is pretty much I think it's, just it's, the game's plot again. It's interesting, again. and it's an interesting point to bring up because mm. you could easily argue, and, and look, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, let's talk about The Walking Dead, but it, sure. I think I think the, the conversation can be had here. I mean, 
there will definitely be people that will put these two in the same conversation and put them up against each other. I mean, mm-hmm. the post-apocalyptic zombie sure. um, TV shows. And it might get to a point where the, this... Obviously, it probably won't go as long or um, overstay its welcome because it's a HBO show and they yep. tend to have way more common sense with that stuff. They, they but, pretty much already said they're not going to do a Game of Thrones. They're not going to surpass the games. So really, they can only do two seasons. Yes. And they have to wait <laughs> yeah. for more source material. So, it, but it's interesting because the reason I bring it up is some of the, the, the greatest episodes of Walking Dead are the ones that don't have anything to do with Rick. Yes. Um, you know, there's that episode, you know, the Tyrese and Carol episode in season four. Um, but they, But obviously, it's a little different because you're just starting to explore people that have been around for a very long time mm. and you're just giving them that episode. Yeah. But it is nice sometimes to deviate because you help fle- it helps you flesh out your world, gives you perspectives on characters, and like you said, offers those different things. Now, I agree with you. You're always going to come back to the main thread, but you could even argue in Game of Thrones, some of the episodes that deviate away from the main plot narrative stuff are some of the best stuff Yeah, in that show because you, you're working out that these like you're humanizing the world around Joel and, and, mm. and Ellie, which is important too. Yeah, I'm sure it'll go both ways. Like, well, be- yeah, it's it's like if, like I said, if they're truthful about this being the biggest deviation, then great. Like, I'm I'm just worried about how early on in the show we're already getting these kinds of episodes where it's like, here's a well, bit of Joel and Ellie, and then like a completely new story. And it's a fair bump because <laughs> it's three episodes in. We're only three episodes in. Those exactly. deviation episodes normally happen three, four seasons into a show yeah. where it's like, we can spend an episode away from the main thread because yeah. we've got the time on our hands to do that. I mean, so. I mean I'm mean, i more concerned for the people who have just never played the game and don't know the story because it almost is that like, okay, but when's the real story picking up? I feel yeah. like well, that's we're me. still quite early. Exactly. I mean, we're still I, quite early I, in the story. I never played Last of Us. I know it's a highly regarded story-driven game. Yep. I know it centers around those two characters. Mm. And I know the fates of those characters in in like a footnotes dot points way. <laughs> Does that mean I wouldn't want to watch so now? It makes me more inclined to watch the show. I can get the mm. narrative out in, in 10 hours rather than, what what's the game, 30? Oh, well, the first game, I reckon it will probably line up with the show. Just because the show... Out of three episodes, two of them are like 75 to 80 minutes long. Okay. These are long episodes. So, you probably are looking at a 13-hour show, which I I reckon you could beat the game in under 13 hours if you weren't, like, just taking your time with it. Yeah. So, I I reckon... Actually, I thought that was like, it would be a cool challenge to play the game with the show running alongside it and seeing if you could beat the show. I think that's totally possible, the way that it's going. There you go. But yeah, I, I'm I'm absolutely glad with the deviations. I think the story in itself that they told is fantastic mm-hmm. and very heartwarming and, and sad. And um, Nick Offerman is excellent as Bill in the show. But I'm just like, I hope they don't do this too many times because then the show stops being about Joel and Ellie. No, we like, won't say what, we won't ever say no to Ron Swanson. <laughs> exactly, the Ron he, Swanson. He is totally going to get an Emmy nom for this later this year. He's great. He's fantastic in this. Yeah. I mean, they both are. The whole, the whole cast is doing really well. Very good stuff. What else you caught? Um, I caught Bad Teacher. <laughs> the Cameron Diaz 2011 film. Okay. <laughs> no, we had, we had a movies at Andy's. I know I'm going back night. to school, Jake, but I don't think you, I'm a bad teacher. Zeke, already. you should watch this for some <laughs> tips. <laughs> no, got it. no, it was literally, you know, we've just been so busy this last week. It was a very 
impromptu movies at Andy's night. It was only like a few of us. So we were like, what more genre should we do this month? How about we just spin in a circle and then grab a random DVD from his pile um, and then it ends up being Bad Teacher won the vote. So, look, I'll say this. It's not the worst film in the world. It is obviously... doesn't really hold up. Some of the things that characters say aren't very politically correct. And, <laughs> and the story is essentially just Cameron Diaz wants a boob job and that's like the entire story revolved around it. But it's not as bad. Is it The Ugly Truth? Is that what that movie's called? Yeah, movies. That That's horrid. It, it doesn't even touch that in terms of the, the raunchy, Audie's comedy. <laughs> I remember watching that for the first time and just being utterly gobsmacked at its existence. In 2000, I think it was 2011, that film came out. It was like, even for 2011, mm-hmm. that film was atrocious. Like, yeah. At, le- at least in Bad Teacher, I would prefer there just be no character arc. Terrible person at start is still terrible person at the end. Unlike The Ugly Truth, where like, good hard-working person becomes terrible person by the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, an, it's a movie that I cannot wrap my head around. But I can also say that about Sausage Party, so here we are. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Sausage Party. It's, uh, yeah. God, that was something. I was generally excited for that as well. Yeah. And then I saw it. Even as a teenager, I was like, this is horrible. <laughs> I can't wrap my head around this. Um, there's two other things I saw. I would, I'm, I'm probably going to do this in the opposite order of how I usually do this because okay. I really want to talk with you a bit more about this last one. Okay. I saw Toy Story in concert last Friday. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw yeah. this. Uh, yeah, took some photos with it Woody was, and yeah. Buzz. And... I did, yeah, with Woody, um, Emperor Zerg, Slinky yes. Dog, all my mates were there. <laughs> How was it? <laughs> it was fantastic, man. It was so good. It was so I saw Amadeus the live um, performance where they're doing the music and everything. Now that I remember praising because I hadn't seen the film, and I love that the, the mix was perfect. Mm. Like the music sort of blended in with the music so well yeah. that I could watch the movie for a first time and like pick everything up and and understand all the nuances and appreciate the music. But the Toy Story, and I'm glad because who hasn't seen Toy Story? There were a lot of young kids there, to be fair, so maybe it was their first time. But they were like, nah, we're going to go all out for this music. We're going to drain out the dialogue for like half the movie. You're going to appreciate the how versatile the Toy Story soundtrack. We did Toy Story last year. Yeah, we did. And I don't remember to what extent we talked about its music. We probably no. made some Randy Newman jokes. I was going to say, yeah, he sort of takes the lead on the... Uh on the talk when it comes to talking about Toy Story music. It's yeah. just Randy Newman. And I think I was I was double checking this. Like, did he actually like do the all the music? Not just like you got a friend in me, but like all the instrumental mm-hmm. stuff. And I think he did. And I'm just like blown away. I'm like, I actually have a, a much more tremendous respect for him now because again the versatility sound everyone says like, oh it's it's just like the piano, isn't it? It's like no 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 no. The amount of brass instruments they come out of nowhere. When, There's a lot of brass in there. Yeah. And, like, yeah. the trumpets when Sid's doing, like, evil shit. And, oh, my God. I could not believe how good this goes. Even doing, like, the Disney fanfare at the start when the logos... And everyone was just like... Yeah. Yeah. And it was like... They did that, just this 20-second piece. And, like, everyone was like, holy crap. <laughs> We're in for a night. This sounds amazing. Yeah, the blue logo. Yeah. Dude, I was, I was in such awe. I could not... It was even just, like... During like little moments when Buzz goes on a monologue, yeah. you know, sworn enemy of the Galactic Alliance, you don't realize how intricate and detailed the music is under that monologue until they just turn so the volume up. My big question to you now mm. is: Yes, 
what's the next orchestral film that you would go to? Or just a film that you go see the live music to? I'm not going to lie. I listened, I re-listened to the Up soundtrack after that. Okay. Because I just started telling everyone about how great the Up soundtrack is. Um, I mean, the original Star Wars would be fantastic. Yeah, it would. That, that's, I mean, to be fair, the movie doesn't squander the soundtrack. Like, it's very prominent in the movie yeah. soundtrack. But a live orchestra... Come yeah, on, get out of here. Cool. I mean, stars would be really dope. i got to do one of the Harry Potter ones. Those are very popular. Those have been going on forever yeah. in Perth. Um, I don't know. What about you? What What would be like your go-to dream orchestral viewing experience? The the actual, the first one that came to me, and I'm not even a big fan, but I think it would be really, like of the mm. film. Like, I think yep. the film's fine. But Tarzan soundtrack oh, okay. would be pretty cool with, Phil, with a lot of the Phil Collins stuff, but... Um, El Dorado would be great with all the Elton John stuff. Yeah, and what's great, you're mentioning these animated films, and I'm, I'm guessing they're all quite short, like 80, 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I also just enjoyed that fact that this was an 80-minute film, Toy Story, where there's like 79 minutes of music in the film. Like, there's so few moments where there's no music, because it's just even like the characters being introduced in the first like mm. 10 minutes of like, here's, here's Bo Peep, and here's... Um, you know, Slinky Dog, and here's Rex, and yeah, I don't, I just could not believe how dynamic the music is. Like it changes, even when they're in the back of the pizza, um, Pizza Planet oh, van. Yeah. Like it's just like completely different. It's just like the guitar comes in. I'm like, this is awesome, man. So I think compared to Amadeus, which is nearly three hours long and has much less music, mm. I think you're hitting the nail on the head with these much shorter films, but are just peppered with music. All I mean, over. there's a lot of John Williams you could go with. You could go with mm. ET. You could go with Indiana yep. Jones. Like these these films that you'd go see and you'd just be like blown away with. Yeah, the the composition. I think. Um, yeah, there's a lot in there, just like off the top of my head. But that's really cool. So what's the last thing you watched? The last one, and I I finally finally. Finally watched this film. You can, all, you can all shut up now. I've seen it. I saw the menu. Finally. Oh, yeah? It's great. It's great. It's fun. a great film. It's fun. It's very, like, twisted and dark in that sense. I love Mark Mylord's direction. It's it's obviously very reminiscent of his direction in Succession, but it felt more, like, controlled. Like, I think Succession, you kind of got that Adam McKay hypercutting. And for here, it felt like the camera was kind of flowing more between these like rich, snobby conversations. And... Yeah, I, I, I would probably. I think that's a very fair point. I yeah, think very, there's definitely a, in succession there is that bubbling anxiety of constant movement. Mm, there's yes. very rare, only very rare times to things stop like completely, and yep. you're almost uneasy when they do. Yeah. Um, so I'm not used to it exactly. Yeah, because there's that frantic. There's always that frenetic pace, even in things as as arbitrary as, as them going back to a family retreat for therapy. It's yeah. like the the pacing <laughs> is still <laughs> ridiculous. Because, um, like, everyone's moving, like, all the cogs are moving, whereas yeah. the menu is is very methodical. It and it's more elegant, yeah, with the it's camera. It's not movement. a film that... I think why everyone walked away and goes, oh, that was just a really entertaining watch, is it's not trying to overstay its welcome. Hmm. It's not trying to like. I think it's like a hundred minutes. Enunciate or make you think about the world, like in a in a bigger picture, other than it's got its very clear anti sort of capitalism notion. Mm. Yeah, anti one percent. Like it. Well, my my biggest takeaway was just that this this is such a clear 
like the dichotomy in the relationship, the parasitical relation, parasitical. What's the word? I'm looking at parasitical. I guess relationship between critics and then consumers. Yeah. And that can be, um, you know, critics or fans or whatever. And obviously, Anya Taylor Joy sort of represents a, a much more like casual audience go if you want to compare it to like movie going audiences or book audiences. I just remember thinking like, oh, this is this is what it felt like to be in the opening night of Last Jedi. <laughs> When all of a sudden, these, like, unique creative decisions are like, wait a sec, I don't like this. What's going on? Like, we're trapped. Get us out of here. (laughs) But I like like that it's a wider commentary on all of those art forms. But what's so clever about it being food, and I don't want to spoil too much, of course, of this film, is that you have the immediate creation and consumption of that art form. You have all the chefs in one room, and without any glass or any, like, wall Mm. blocking them from the view of the consumers... They immediately watch people consume that art, comment on that. Uh, it's a good excuse to have the whole film take place in one room, pretty much. Just, just clever stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of real clever little knickknacks in there. It's a good, a good cast, a good ensemble cast. Yeah. Um, it's got cool little um, sort of non-fictional sort of like the chef's table close-up cutaways <laughs> where it's like, oh, I'm Oh, with the text but, and yeah, the, yeah, like yeah, the, that's fun stuff. Of course it is. It's yep. with the slow revolving sort of like food and yep. stuff. And yeah, it, it's very interesting. It, I always like a good, sta- it almost feels like a stage, like stage drama. Yeah, totally I mean, could be. And it, it works really well. And messages are very clear, easy to understand. The climax is is pretty pretty funny yeah um, unfortunately facebook spoiled it for me it's a that's cons- okay a consumable <laughs> a more consumable a consumable midsummer yeah you know what uh, blake said the exact same thing so yeah. this is yeah midsummer in, in a kitchen yeah. <laughs> much easier to watch yeah it's not it's not much as confronting that's very true um but yeah no i, I wanted to leave that last because i was i was very happy to finally report that i've seen the menu yeah the only thing I caught in the last week mm. was the first episode of Poker Face. Ryan oh, Johnson. that was one I really wanted to watch this yeah. week. So I got the first episode. I, so, Zeke, you, you beat me to a Ryan Johnson I know. film. Can you believe it? Unbelievable. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, uh, look, it's one of those things, like, I'm clearly just going to forever have a hot, cold relationship with Ryan Johnson. Of course. Um, I think we're we're forever going to the hot un- your cold, yeah. yes, and red and blue. No, um, <laughs> no it, it's it's hard not to. I kind of like what he does sometimes, and then don't like what he does other times. I thought yep. glass. I didn't hate glass onion. Sure, I felt underwhelmed by glass onion. Undercooked. If we want to coin the menu, I felt <laughs> um, like I uh, and I think. It was because the I couldn't look past some of the sort of cliche, sort of writing cliches that I know Ryan loves to try and sort of flip and turn on his head. Sure. Um, I don't think it worked very well in Glass Onion, whereas it worked really well in Knives Out. Um, and it, it will be interesting to see how the third film in that, that Knives mm. Out, tri- like that, to round off that trilogy goes, because... I don't really know where the next mystery lies, um, mm. or how they're going to go about doing it. Um, I hope I hope the the cl- the comment on classism is quite different. Not not that the message is different, but like I hope it takes place in like some you know rural 
poor village. I think that would be a fun twist on the Knives Out story. Yeah. Um, but I'm just completely shooting in the dark with that one. Uh, the first episode was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually enjoyed it. It was a very easy watch. Um, casting's great. Um, obviously, it's a revolving cast of um, sort of famous faces. And, okay, that's cool. Um, certain things uh, happen in the first episode that will definitely set off what... I think four have dropped so far. Yeah, it? I think it's four, and then I think five drops pretty soon. And um, it would just be weekly through till ten episodes, yeah, I think. It was, a, it was a tight sort of... The introduction to um, our main character. I've got to get her name. I always forget her name. Um, she's very good. The funniest thing is I can't ever unsee her in American Pie. <laughs> it's just... Uh. It's <laughs> Natasha Lyon. Um, yeah, she's great as Charlie. Um, who's like the the central protagonist and yeah. Um, to be honest, the first episode gave me, um, you know, we're going to talk about Chazelle's sort of love and affinity for early cinema. Mm. Um, Johnson in this is really, to me, really starting to exert that love for people like the Coen Brothers. Okay, this first episode really felt like a Coen Brothers kind of bit Fargo esque. Um, very Fargo. Oh, I like the very sound of that. Fargo. I like the sound um, of that Zeke. Little Fargo. Little oh yeah, big, yeah. Well, <laughs> Natasha Lyons got like a, a interesting. She got like a lisp too, which is great. Oh, it's excellent, like excellent. she's got this like. Obviously, she's not a policeman. Um, they sort of reveal what she's done. She's doing in the in the episode. It's not okay. any, but why she's so good at reading people, right? Um, but. Yeah, it definitely had even the the shots, the the shock violence in parts felt very no country esque, and even okay. in Fargo, the okay. tonality it really just felt like a Coen Brothers episode, like to the point uh-huh. where you start to think, well, this is this feels like a great homage to that. Yeah, n- very much the early mid nineties Coen Brothers too, like that real yeah. nice. Well, you could argue some of their probably their best films are in the nineties. So, yeah. well, having, um, having seen the trailers for Poker Face, I could totally see that inspiration. I didn't even put two and two together until you mentioned that. It's the and it's the burnt sort of orange yellow color palette too, right. which is very consistent, which even more exerts that that pure. Well, what's what? the Coen brothers were so good at capturing in that early mid 2000s so um yeah i i'm very excited to watch the second episode um yeah so it's always nice there you go i like the ryan johnson thing yeah i literally was thinking all week i need to start poker face to talk about the podcast but you covered you covered me zeke yeah thank you very much without even all in sync right there i know look at us go now we've got two options zeke we can jump into 95th oscar nominations list Looking to career updates. Well, do you have much to update us on? I guess not. (laughs) Just putting the assembly cut for Skin and Blister. Yeah, you have one week left to donate, folks, so do it. Yeah, that's important. Get onto it. This is our last chance. Is there any way you can extend it, if need be? I can, but I kind of don't want to. Okay. I don't want to set that... I don't want to set that, like, oh, we'll just continue until we get more money sort of thing. It's... I like like it's a clean month, and if you want to contribute, great, but... Otherwise, it's fine. The thing is, the film's getting made either way. Yeah. So, it, it's fine. We've had some more contributions in the last week, so it's really... It is very, very incredibly helpful, especially for paying crew in this last leg of the journey. So, 
Um, it's all being put to good use, don't you worry. But it is the last chance to do it, so do it. Yeah, just, just give me money. Just give me your money. <laughs> 95th Oscar nominations. Jake, yes. side them off. All right. Well, let's, let's jump right into it. Zeke. Yeah. For Best Picture. And we've seen quite a few of these. We've covered quite a few of these. I'm very that's happy about that. All Quiet on the Western Front. I guess that's your big, like, foreign language film Best Picture one of the year. Yeah. Which, hey, well done for them. They it, don't it, count it, everything everywhere all at once, do they? No, no, no. That's primarily English. Um, that is absolutely... In fact, that film, it has the most nominations at 11 nominations. Okay. Uh, so that film is absolutely crushing it. Uh, for Best Picture, you also got Avatar The Way of Water. The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. So, solid list. I think we've between the two of us, we've seen... All but two, right? Yeah, I mean, neither of us have seen Triangle of Sadness, Women Talking, or Tar. You finally caught Top Gun Maverick a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And, um... I still, I still haven't quite. I, I mean, it got nominated I, in its its year too, its inaugural year when the original Top Gun came out too. I'm thinking, I think it won Best oh, Picture maybe. Or what? No close, way. You know, definitely got nominated. Yeah, that's cool picture. though. I like that. So that's cool. Both Top Guns. It says a lot about for some reason Top Gun working. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it's in here just because of like the feat of filmmaking that film was. The fact that every person that flies in that film, they're flying real jet and they did real training and. All the all the action is real, and it's, yeah, oh, it's and a great it, and film. And it's one of those things that, um, as a film, it's yeah. You talk about the what I really liked when you're just reading that off is is how diverse the films we've got. There. Yeah, it's a good range. For sure. Um, doesn't feel like every film's super arty. There's a good a bit of commercial in there. A bit of, yep. Got your uh, avatars, but then you got your your wild shots like everything everywhere. Um, Elvis, I guess, probably the, the Green Book of the Year, I suppose. <laughs> of course, it's got to go in there. But but then there's that that sort of weird sort of middle of the road where it's like, oh well, he was in Method for nearly two years, and it took nearly two years to make, and it's a right. Yeah. Well, then then he gets acknowledged in performance. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah. I mean, I mean, look, I'm mm. not surprised in the slightest that Elvis is in here. Neither of us liked it very much at all. I, I guess, you know, it's Australian I don't know representation. Many people that liked it though. Like I actually don't know many people that liked it at all. Yeah, I guess if you're just a fan of of you know Baz Luhrmann's style, then needed to get Tom Hanks in there somehow. <laughs> well, he's up for the Razzie, so there you go. <laughs> he's certainly not up to the Oscar. But yeah, out of these, um, like where you're leaning towards, I'm leaning towards out of the ones that I have seen. As much as I would love to see everything everywhere get a lot of acknowledgement in performances in director and all of these places I wouldn't mind seeing the Banshees of Inisherin win this award mm. now I haven't seen Tar yet I am very 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 excited to see Tar but you didn't say the Fablemans did you no it's in there Fablemans is in there would that be your pick yeah yeah fair enough it's <laughs> I think it's because it, yeah I mean we talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the show I think I don't. I don't see something like Tar winning it. Like we, you know, we can. We'll probably see it. Yeah. Really love and enjoy it, but it's just. I'm hearing it's not. I mean, it's not as divisive as like Babylon, and obviously yeah. Babylon's not in this list. I think it got like free nominations, like in in makeup and and music. I think it got some random awards yeah. there or nominations, I should say. But Tar, I think I don't know. I haven't seen the film yet, but I think there is like a anti-political correctness thing in there. Yeah. Is what I understand that might throw it off. Yeah. 
I actually think everything everywhere has a good chance. I actually think that probably will win. As because, purely it's got the 11 noms. I mean, and you look at um, its performance at... um, What was... He won something, didn't he? Was it the Emmy or the Globes or was it? Um, Hong- I think it won Best Comedy at the Globes. Yeah. And of course, you know, Michelle Yeoh, Ki Han Kwan did very yeah. well. They both won. Good speech. Um, I still haven't seen any of the speeches, man. I got to get a lot of emotional speeches this year, from my understanding. Yeah, yeah but um, I, I think that's very likely. I, I think I throw the Banshee's been sharing it, partly because free billboards didn't do as well as I was hoping it would years ago when that was in the in the contest. But no, if everything everywhere wins, that's fantastic. I'd be more than happy to see that be the case. A strange the, film to win. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think we talked about it. Yeah, you know, early last year when we saw that film, it kind of feels like you could really only make a film like this today. And yeah. I, I don't think it would have worked five, ten, twenty years ago. So I think, you know, for the time and place that it's come out in, it's really the only chance it has. I feel like. mm-hmm. maybe even five years from now. We don't. I mean, that's what Babylon talks about, doesn't it? We don't know what Hollywood looks like in five years. Things can change in an instant. Yeah. Instant, I should say, mm. instinctually. Yeah. That's how I okay. feel. Best director, Banshees of Inisherin for Martin McDonough, The Dans for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Osland for Triangle of Sadness. Oh, no more women, Zeke. I think We've had enough on women. A, like if Spiel, like <laughs> this is, I think this is really Spielberg's to lose, isn't it? Really, it'd be yeah. very. I think that being the Oscars in particular, it's that sim. I think it's the symbolic nature there, maybe. Right. Um, the film. I mean, if the Dan's are taking out best film, they're not going to get best. I mean. Oh well, that's not. I mean, you got Parasite with Bong Joon Ho. Yeah. That was kind of a surprise. He took both of those awards home. Yeah, I'm gonna say it's yeah. not impossible, but yeah, I don't know. I think I'd pick Spielberg. It's probably between him and the Dan's. Yeah. I don't really. As much as I think the Banshees of Insurance, great. I'm looking forward to seeing Tar. But I, and I'm having not watched any of these videos or done any research on what the odds are. That's my instinct. This is between those two. Yeah. Um, and I could totally see it. Like, okay, let's give Spielberg the directing nod because he finally told his story in a sense. Yeah. And, and then you give Best Picture everything everywhere. It's that Scorsese thing, right? It's the bookend of the career. You mm. know, at this point, that's for a lot of us. That's the Spielberg tied into a bow. Now, yeah, we obviously want him to keep making films, but. It's a nice, it's a nice way to sort of cease it. <laughs> but every, I feel like every, go. everyone's had their moment like that. You know, these elder statesmen of, of film. A couple of years ago, you know, Hopkins goes out, takes best, best actor Sector, for the yeah. father. So you yeah. know, God, what a wild night that was. Yeah, at eighty-three. <laughs> oh God! Speaking of best actor, got Austin Butler as Elvis Presley. Nope. Colin Farrell and the Banshees of Inisherin. He's pretty excellent in that. To be fair. Yeah. Brendan Fraser for The Whale. That's probably it right there. It's probably a winner. Bill Nye for Living and Paul Mescal for After Sun, which I think that's like the big surprise. Everyone's pleasantly surprised to see him get a nomination for After Sun, which I'm hearing is great. No clue when that's coming out here. Um, it, do you reckon it's going to Brendan Fraser? Out of that group, yeah. Yeah. I think it's... Wow. Imagine thinking that in 2023. Brendan <laughs> Fraser winning Best Actor at the Oscars. No, I, I don't mean, that's, that's surprising, I guess. Well, Makes me just want to watch I, The Mummy again. <laughs> you know, I've never seen The Mummy. Apparently he rocked up at some random screening. 
Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, sort of like a picture of him showing up. Cool. Um, Yeah, no, I'm very happy for him. The Renaissance is real, as they say. Uh, For Best Actress, you've got Kate Blanchett for Tar. She's probably going to win, let's be honest. Ana Diarmes for Blonde, which I have no problem with. She is great in that film. That's all I'm going to say about that. You've got Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now, a bit of controversy here. you got Andrea Riseborough. Riseborough. Sorry, I can't pronounce the name. For To Leslie. Now, there's a whole thing going around that apparently people... That, that she... Something to do with the the Oscar campaigning because, like, no one's seen this film to Leslie. Like, no, what is this film? And so there's rumors that she might be, like, getting kicked out of this um, category because of some targeted marketing, uh, marketing plan they did for the Oscars. From what I understand, it just seems BS to me. Like, a marketing plan's a marketing plan. And I come from this weird place where I've not seen the film. I wouldn't have never heard of it if not for the fact that sure. its director and editor both worked on Medical Soul and talked about it on their respective podcasts. So, with this... Yes. So, you're saying targeted... Like, so, the marketing team of this film have just put this film in the right hands and that's influenced the vote? I think... And I'm not overly knowledgeable on this. I think it is something to do with them like targeting certain people and like influencing them to do... like each day for the last week of voting to tweet specifically about her performance in this film as part of the marketing. But the thing I'm wondering is like, well, how's that bad? How's that a negative thing? How is that against any rules from the Academy? Yeah. And Harvey Weinstein, look at all the, look what he got away with. <laughs> yeah. But apparently this is bad because I've never heard of that film before. Yeah. This feels very, I mean... What the Oscars getting worse and worse viewership every year? So yeah, yeah. Let's just keep throwing fuel to that fire. Um, look, it's it's Blanchett's, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I, it seems that way. I don't and, think there's any real competition here, from what I understand. Oh, well, uh, to be fair, Michelle, Michelle Yeoh Yeo. has won a few, yeah. Yeah. so potentially. But the, I'm, actually, you know what? I'm really curious now where they go with that. Ah, they'll go with Blanchett. I yeah, reckon. probably. You think it, come, it also comes back to if you give everything everywhere all at once. I everything reckon, yeah. <laughs> yeah like 11 noms probably maybe two three wins yeah i think joker was 11 for two yeah but i to be fair i think that film it got plenty of oscars yeah <laughs> two, was two, pl- two was plenty for joker i was the two correct ones but yeah. nevertheless um best supporting actor you got brendan gleason for the banshees of Vinnie sharon um he's great in it as well brian tay henry for causeway I think that's the Apple film. Uh, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans. Oh, uh, Uncle Boris. That, he was in it for five seconds. Holy that's crap. such a weird show. Oh, very nice. Dano not get that? Just pulled... Oh, no, they can't them as... I guess he would actors. be Lee... Yeah, because Michelle Williams is his best actress. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, Barry Keegan for The Banshees of Inishirin. Hell yes. And Kihan Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'd love to see him win. I think he was fantastic Kwan. in everything, everywhere. He plays yeah. 50 million versions of himself. <laughs> I feel like it'll go to him. Yeah, it's a comeback I mean, story. I mean, he did give a... He already gave, like, a really passionate speech at the Globes. Mm. So he's going to have to have another one ready. <laughs> Maybe, he honestly, he oh, honestly thought, enough. like, there's no chance I'm winning at the Oscars. Might as well do my big speech here at the Globes. No, no, it's fair enough, I think. It was very nice. The, hi- the hype is going for him, yeah. Yeah. 
It's interesting because although he's a very compelling sort of like um, paramour, I guess is probably the the accurate term. Like, is he's not the antagonist, so he's yeah, and he's not the protagonist, so I guess he's the love interest, isn't he? Really? Yeah, yeah, um, precisely. But he's he's the heart of the film, really. Yeah. He's the one with the big monologue about you know everyone should love each other. Yeah, he's really nice. Yeah. No, he's, he's fantastic in the film. I love yeah. him. He'll probably get the dub. Yeah. Best Supporting Actress, Angela Bazette for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That that has quite a few noms, just so you know. Um, Hon Chow for The Whale. Kerry Condon for The Banshees of Inisherin. Hell, bloody yes. Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, Stephanie Hugh for Everything Everywhere All at Once, respectively. Um, probably a Banshee nod, right? I mean, I, I, I mean, Kerry Condon's fantastic in the film. I love that she's nominated. Um, There's a lot of love for Banshee's uh, in a Sharon, though, to be fair. I think that got eight or nine noms. It got nine noms, yeah. People are... In addition to All Quiet on the Western Front, how the hell did that get nine nominations? Oh, We've only read once so far. Oh, you techies. Yeah, yeah, techies. Yeah, fair enough. Um, that I'm actually going to go ahead and say that's a really tricky one for me, personally. I've only seen um, three of the five performances. Yeah. I, it probably is between those three. To a, I, I actually don't know where the conversation's going. If Kerry Condo wins, I'll be very, very, very happy. But if either of the ladies from Everything Everywhere win, I'll also be very, very happy. Yeah. But we'll see. Maybe I'll watch The Whale and really, really fall in love with those performances yeah, Jamie Lee too. Curtis back up there. Yeah, let's do it. See what wacky things she has to say on stage. <laughs> Best original screenplay, The Banshees of Inisherin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. Those five, it's really between those five, isn't it? I reckon that All Banshees might have this. I am, yes. I reckon if I reckon if the Dans win director, I am more than happy for Martin McDonough to win screenplay here. But like, my, yeah. my mentally, I don't think this will go to the five ones. And I don't think it'll go to everything everywhere at once. Because I don't think the right like yeah. the writing isn't exactly it the the screenplay itself for everything everywhere. I don't think is like in the conversation for being like its strength strength. Like okay. it's a good story. Sure. It's a compelling narrative. But it's sort of the it's what comes out on the screen sure. and in the performances, that's where it really shines through. Yeah. Whereas you've got I, I'm, like a I'm McDonough sort sense, of yeah. All his films are just dialogue-driven films. Mm. That's sort of where it shines. It's the Ryan Johnson situation with Knives Out. It's like, on paper... I mean, that that film is nearly as good if it's not in the screenplay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm with you in the sense, I mean, Banshee Venture, and I would love to see it win this category. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of Ryan Johnson, best adapted screenplay, All Quiet on the Western Front, Glass Onion, Living, Top Gun Maverick, and women talking. Top Gun Maverick. Um, one hundred percent. Really? No, no. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's fun. It's pretty much the same screenplay as the, <laughs> the last one. <laughs> Best adapted. Yeah. Um, this is a weird one for me because probably Western Front. I love Glass Onion, but I just don't see it winning in this category at all. Um, and know. all quiet. I. I mean. It's, people love it people think it's an excellent film because it is an excellent film it's yeah. just not as good as it's 1930 version sure yeah that was our that was our I, conclusion yeah. I guess yeah I guess it's kind of and, and neither of us have seen Living 
I actually don't even know what living is to be honest and women talking neither of us have seen I, that I yet. do admit there are sequels because we talked about the ending being particularly the thing we weren't the biggest fan of but there are sequences in the film throughout the film that have some very good dialogue exchanges for, for All Quiet? For all Quiet yeah. yeah they are probably arguably better than the 1930 version but it's it's also an unfair comparison in terms of mm. dialogue writing because of the time, which we'll talk about in the second half of the show, <laughs> <laughs> roughly. <laughs> no, exactly. Very different time indeed. Birth of the I, Talkies. I think I mean, that makes a lot of sense, the All Quiet on the Western Front. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Well, it's going to get that in foreign language, isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess I guess the um, or Best International, yeah, it's pretty obvious. you got that along with Argentina, Close, EO, and The Quiet Girl. Um, I've heard good things about Argentina. Oh, excuse me, Argentina, nineteen eighty-five. Let me get that right. Um, and the Quiet Girl. I remember that coming out locally. I can't remember what the general opinion was, but you're right. It's clearly going to go to All Quiet on the Western Front. We need another round of this year. <laughs> another round. Parasite. Uh, Minari. No, Minari wasn't an international film. What was? What was it that year? But you're right. It's always uh, Roma. It's always a very clear. Yeah. It's like whichever one has nominations in other categories too. Yeah, <laughs> it's always that one. Best animated feature: Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots: The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. Not a bad. That's not a bad collection this year. Yeah, I have to. I mean, I'm really happy s- the Sea Beast got in there. Yeah, well, exactly. And like, I hear, I hear, Puss in Boots is excellent. He's got a four point three on Letterbox. I know. People think it's excellent, which I'm, I'm shocked by. And Turning Red, it was my favorite Pixar film in quite a while. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, also agree. Also so, agree. I mean, I, I'm still gonna give it to Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> um, main, and I'm actually really bummed to see it hasn't got much um love elsewhere. That's true. I could have seen it. Um, even best adapted screenplay, I could have seen it yeah. in other places. Adapted screenplay, yeah, especially yeah. with who it was sharing company with in that conversation. It's mm. like, I think it's the best telling of Pinocchio on screen. Mm. Like, that's the best on screen depiction. I prefer that over the 1940 yeah, wow. version. I think story wise, it it was it was better. It's more hard hitting for sure. <laughs> yeah, voice acting performances. Great to see Sea Beast in there. I really think that's an authentically really really good animation. That was my yeah. Mitchell's versus the machines of this year. Yeah, um, it came up in our little awards discussion a few weeks ago. Yeah, so you gave it a shout out. So I'm 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 happy to see all of these in here. I really am, and I would love to see Marcel the show with shoes on because it seems very experimental. So that I'm kind of curious about in that sense. But otherwise, I have to go with Pinocchio as well. Just a brilliant film. Uh, let's see. Let's jump down to best original score. You got All Quiet on the Western Front. Got your Babylon. There you go. Got to be honest, the score kind of went over my head a little bit watching the film. Why? Because it was just in your face all the time. (laughs) 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 It's a lot of source music as well. But anyway, Justin Hurwitz did a great job. You've also got The Banshees of Inisherin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and The Fablemans. Kind of leaning towards Everything Everywhere. That soundtrack really spoke to me, man. I was listening to it on Spotify. I'd probably go with every everything everywhere i didn't oh, like the all quiet on the western front we joked about the the drums and the, oh that's right yeah the random the it was random interesting one. yeah yeah i don't know interesting doesn't mean good <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay i think i think we're both aligned with that and the a banshee of initiative and I, I just remember the tune from the trailer which is great but i think everything everywhere is, is so unique and mm. so versatile we're talking about the versatile toy story trying to check earlier 
Um, even just like the Randy Newman thing, he literally has pieces in everything everywhere that he does, and it's great stuff. Uh, best original song, you got Applause from Tell Her Like a Woman from Diane Warren. Hold My Hand, which is of course the Lady Gaga Top Gun thing, which I wasn't a huge on. Uh, Lift Me Up for Black Panther. Uh, Natu Natu from Triple R. We're finally getting some Triple R love here, and I'm and I'm guessing this will probably win. But then you got this is a life from everything everywhere all at once, which is also a, a brilliant song. That it's still on my repeat Spotify playlist. That song. Yeah. So, as much as I would love to see that, I think Triple R deserves a bit of a nod here because I heard a bit of. I'm like, this is catchy as hell, man. Mm. This is great. Yeah, it's a film <laughs> a bit of Bollywood music. And watch. Yeah, it's 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 just as long as Babylon. So. <laughs> Get ready. But, hey, it's meant to be excellent. Uh, best Sound, All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Batman. Jeez, finally getting a nom for The Batman. Elvis and Top Gun, Maverick. Um, I, I guess Top Gun? Do you like Nirvana? <laughs> <laughs> Something in the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just on repeat for three hours. So many three-hour movies these days. Jesus Christ. Um, it's a bit wild that Batman hasn't gotten any love. <laughs> yeah, I... It was might, a good movie. I, it's got best makeup and hairstyling. That's in there. Um, oh, and best visual effects. It didn't get a lot of love. Yeah. Got three noms. Everyone, everyone still has Joker fatigue, I guess. <laughs> That's actually what Barry Keegan is uh, nominated for. Not the Banshees of Insurance for playing the Joker for Been five, busy, busy, for five yeah. seconds. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Probably. I guess Top Gun, I guess. Yeah. And the, here, but everyone wants to hear Danger Zone again, don't they? Yeah, that's it. That's all they want. to <laughs> Danger Zone. Best production design. All Quiet on the Western Front. Avatar The Way of Water. Really? How? It's a CGI movie. What are you talking about? Uh, Babylon, Elvis, and the Fablemans. Probably go to Babylon. Yeah. I think either that or Fablemans, they're both sort of period pieces. I guess and... Babylon has the... But it's like Hollywood paraphernalia. It's just, Yeah, yeah. It's sickly everywhere. <laughs> yeah, but then even the Fablemans, just like all the different types of cameras and little knickknacks that mm. the characters... Are, they're engineers, you know, they're playing with... Stuff. I don't know. I actually could see the Fablemans getting this one. Um, that would make I, me I, worried. I, I don't know what's going on with Avatar there, but... That's a joke. Uh, best cinematography, wow, Bardo. This is the first time I've heard that film in a long time. Um, in a widow, I believe that kind of snuck in. Yeah. Yeah. No one's no one talked about this film at all. You've also got All Quiet on the Western Front, Elvis, Empire of Light, which is from Roger Deakins. Look at that. And Tar. I I'm very happy to see this go to All Quiet on the Western Front. Yep. Me too. That's yeah. There are some ama- like incredible shots and sequences. Yeah. It's, you definitely get the scope that the original yeah, doesn't have. And it's a bit more story-driven than, like, 1917. No. Oh, best makeup and hairstyling. Like I said, The Batman, also Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Elvis, The Whale, and All Quiet on the Western Front. I guess The Whale makes sense because, you know, they're, they're beefing up Brendan Fraser. Yeah, they viced him, yes. <laughs> exactly. Um... But then Elvis, Elvis is very loud and proud, I guess. So there's that nah, as well. Um, yeah, I pro- this might actually be the one that Elvis gets. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, unless they want to do like a bombshell with Charlie's Ferron. it's like just that one thing they want to acknowledge. I, you know, I'm probably I'm actually with you. I reckon Elvis 
I reckon that makes more sense. Best costume design: Babylon, Black Panther, Elvis, everything, everywhere. That that's surprising. And Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Look at Mrs. Harris giving yeah, a shout out. Mrs. Harris, go on, go to Paris. <laughs> Probably gonna be Black Panther, right? Go on. They won, didn't oh, they? Oh, that yeah. No, you're right. I forgot, OG. Yeah. I forgot how many Oscars they tried to shove in Black Panther last time. They might, they might try and do it again. Did anyone see it this time? I don't know anyone that saw Wakanda Forever. Yeah, we live in a. This was a terrible year for Marvel, which made me very happy. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a, a great quote in uh, general. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Martin Scorsese, calm down there. No, I've, <laughs> I've been pretty open, but um, I have heard this movie is good, but it's surrounded by a lot of crap, so. Mm. Like you said, most people didn't get to it because most people didn't make past She-Hulk. <laughs> no, there, there you go. That's it. Um, I reckon it might be an Elvis Babylon thing. I mean, everything everywhere has great costumes, but I just I think it's going to get so much attention elsewhere. So, yeah, it's probably it's is one an Elvis of the, it, Babylon. It's one of the period and pieces. Probably you know? gonna some. Yeah, I don't know who they love more: Hollywood, Elvis, or Elvis, or. The, the golden years. Well, I will say Elvis got at least five more noms than Babylon did. So Probably Elvis. So it might, I reckon it'll be Elvis. Best film editing. The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. Everything Everywhere. You know what? I, or Top Gun Maverick. I could see Top Gun getting it. I really could. I mean, just because... I mean, you hear the stories of how much footage that... Because the actors have to like, hit record on their own cameras... And they kind of just had to piece together this tens of hours of footage of flying to create this coherent story. Yeah, I reckon that's the narrative they go with. I mean, everything, everywhere, the editing is is so mind-bogglingly in your face, and it, it's great. But I reckon Top Gun might just have that more like I think the, te- the technical finesse aspect mm. to it. Yeah, um, and it's got excellent pacing, like the way it builds to its third act, Top Gun. Like, that final run. It's excellent. Though I know it's the Death Star run, but it's, like, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually could see Top Gun beating out everything everywhere. Does Tom regard. Cruise get to go up on the stage if they win something? <laughs> I guess it would be Eddie Hamilton. He would be go up to be like, yes, I yeah, edited all the footage. With him? Just so he says, like, one crazy line. Or just, like, one, <laughs> one Tom Cruise laugh. So Tom just follow him closely behind. <laughs> the Tom Cruise laugh? Oh. So good. Uh, we'll wrap this up very soon. We got best visual effects for All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar: The Way of Water, The Batman, Wakanda Forever, and Top Gun Maverick. Um, it's probably going to go to Avatar. Yeah. You know, it, a lot of people saw it. It, it made two billion dollars. Oscars need numbers. And uh, what what else would you give it to? No, it's uh, it's great. Wouldn't it be great if like Top Gun Maverick won for visual effects? And then what? Uh, bloody you, Avatar one for best production design. <laughs> so true. Oh god! And finally, I'll wrap it up with best documentary feature. I don't know how many of these we've seen. Fire of Love's in here. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent documentary. That's great stuff. Uh, All that breathes. All the beauty in the bloodshed. A house made of splinters. And Navalny. Navalny. Yeah, I haven't heard of any of those other ones. Yeah, so we're on Team Fire of Love then. There you go, Team Fire of Love. I mean, the fact that like we've only heard of that one and seen it and loved it, 
probably speaks volumes to the wider general populace. Yeah. And then it comes back to maybe about accessibility. I know it's the documentary category, so not, not everyone's hanging on the edge of their seat to right. see who wins it. <laughs> but from an accessibility point of view, file loves it's on Disney+. Plus. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that's more important than people give it credit for, the accessibility angle. So, Well, it's point proven, though, with the whole marketing campaign thing you were talking about. Yeah, to, to Leslie, yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Very interesting. That that uh, Interesting. Before we move on, Zeke. Yes, I'll just rack up some of our predictions about the Fablemans specifically. Oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Because the end of the Fablemans discussion two weeks ago, you asked me, Jake, what do you think the film, how do you think the film's going to do? Uh, I I went back and listened. I called seven noms. You said one up. You wanted eight noms. It actually did get seven. Oh, <laughs> so there you go. Right on the money. Bang on the money. Bang on the money. But no, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah. You went on to say you think it's going to win for two, including best original screenplay and uh, for Michelle Williams's performance in Best Actress. Which, to your point, we had debates whether she was actress or supporting actress yeah. and whether that was an adapted screenplay or original. You were correct on both fronts. It is respectively Best Actress and Original Screenplay. Yeah. So I think we'll it'll get scheme- it screenplay. I probably would alter that and think maybe he's going to get director with it and then, mm. we, and then Blanchett's going to take out Tar. But I might yeah, stick by Michelle Williams after watching tar yeah so you never know you never know what's going to happen in this race but very exciting stuff um big first half of the show zeke yes ready to dust it off move on with our lives go into a three-hour film (laughs) jake what are we watching this week in the show zeke we're watching baby lon i saw your joke i think what we have here in hollywood is high art it's If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. Yes. Let's go! Something that lasts, that means something. You know, when I first moved to L.A., I got your face touching, you know what signs on all the doors read? No actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. Morning. Good job for you. I'll do anything. That's the cocksucker they said to screw us. Yeah! That bitch is stealing the scene right from Mummy. She's icing her nipples so they perk up through her dress. I ain't icing my nipples. This is natural. Where do you say we come in for my close-up now? What are your thoughts for the future? Shouldn't stand in the way of progress. This is going to be what it's going to be. Here's the twist. Whoa! The girl seems nice. She is. She has no idea what's next. There's some new sensibility now. People care about morals. I've never done nothing except disappoint people my whole life. But I made it on my terms, not theirs. are going to be more than they ever bargained for. What I do means something. It's bigger than you. (laughs) (laughs) 
tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess, tracing the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in early Hollywood. How early is it? 1926. And when do we want it? Uh, before... What's that film? The Dancer? Is it? No. The, la- the, la- jazz singer. the Jazz, the jazz singer. singer. The Jazz Singer. 1927. I was going to say The Hayes Code. Is that what it's called? Do you ever feel sometimes when you know those like really obligatory dates, you feel so good about yourself when you're like, Singing in the Rain, 1952. <laughs> Citizen Kane, 1943. Yeah, yeah. I saw a poster for The Seekers today and I was like, Ooh. 1950. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. It's very smart. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, no, it's um I didn't feel so smart looking at the cast list. I did not recognise half these I didn't realise I think Spike Jones was the was the director. Otto Vaughn toward the start of the film. He probably has the best line in the film. He says, God gave me a beautiful son and I've squandered it. <laughs> That's the best line in the film. <laughs> yeah. It's um, a um an interesting collection on an ensemble. Mm. First time really Chazelle's really worked with an ensemble. Which yeah, is to this extent. I mean, you, Whiplash, you kind of think of it as a two-hander. And then La La Land, you kind of... There's some stars in there, but you also kind of think of that as a two-hander. Yeah. And this is very much like a collection of characters roaming around with no plot. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's It's... Yeah. Okay, it's a, an interesting film, right? Because, mm. you know, we're going to sit here and I feel like, you know, it's... It's interesting because we've we've we're going through the the month of January, which is always a fun time because you've got all these directors coming out with their you know their films and stuff and their you know, Oscar darlings. They're Oscar darlings. They're 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 basically their javelin throw at, at an Oscar. And mm. um, you know we've seen Bombok for a consecutive week of white noise. Uh, sort of <laughs> <laughs> had to get it in there. No, no, had to get it in there. Four weeks in a row. Legit, like you know we watched that film and we were left sort of underwhelmed, confused. Um, this film didn't leave me confused because it was pretty clear what was going on or the yes. film I was in um, and I didn't think the film was really trying to um, create any more uh, sort of thought-provoking higher higher order thinking or talk about like big issues it was honestly just a Hollywood paraphernalia film mm. with a Wolf of Rule Street complex <laughs> But the comedy of like a bad teacher, and times, you know. Yeah, there's some inappropriate stuff in there. I mean, don't but get me low wrong, lowbrow comedy, lowbrow, uh, yeah. Like not not the the sort of the sophisticated comedy that comes from like a a Coen Brothers or a, or a mm. Tarantino, that is undercut by violence and depravity. It sometimes well, it's a bit felt- of shock as well. Like I I went with my friend Andy. This is the first time we went to a film together, and. Like, a lot of the comedy for him was, like, that initial gasp of shock. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe they said something that, like, um, homophobic or or that insulting, (laughs) that sexist, or um, before, you know, laughing because there's always always those little inside jokes there about film sets and things like that. Um, So I found it funny from that standpoint. But I think as a film, and it's a big film. It's a hot mess. It's three three (laughs) hours and eight minutes. (laughs) Look, I don't think I wouldn't call it a hot mess. I mean, again, I put I'm putting it in that same category. Once we're done in Hollywood and licorice pizza, like 
these films where the, you know these directors are clearly longing for simpler days in Hollywood. They're doing these big sprawling epics with no plot. This is kind of hangout films. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to look at it from that lens of does it? How is this different from those films? Yeah, I I think PTAs are really good sort of point to bring up here because mm. I do think there is a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson in this film. Yeah, the the whole um Toby Maguire scene is just Alfred Molina and Boogie Nights. Yes. Like, that whole arc is exactly that. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think it has less... I think there's always a through plot with a Paul Thomas Anderson film that's clearly and easily identifiable. Mm. And in Licorice Pizza, it's just a simple teenage love story, really. Mm. A relationship de- developing in, in the golden age of, of life. Yep. And that's essentially all Licorice Pizza is. Um, Boogie Nights is, you know watching Mark Wahlberg's rise and fall to fame in which this film huh, kind of charters similar courses yeah, absolutely um, and but it's centered around the golden years of the adult film industry so I, I think that PTA is, is a prominent sort of not a influence is probably the closest it's not homage or anything it's mm. definitely just influence or in the same sort of conversation but I Hot Mess is... The reason I call it Hot Mess is because it's a very aesthetically attractive film. It is a little mm. intoxicating at times and yep. and and thoroughly engaging. But then it's also just feels at times like it's... How crazy can we just make this <laughs> film without any sort of plot relevancy? Yeah. And it's almost just actors acting up. Because they, you know, they're almost they're putting on these caricatures, these almost Tropic Thunder esque caricatures, yeah, yeah, of absurdity that you're sort of just blown away by what is happening in front of you, yeah, and how I, absurd it actually gets. I think what's interesting, and like I, I think there is absolutely a through line theme and and concept that this film explores, and and I've heard most people I know who've seen this film hate the ending, hate hate it. We can get into it later in the show of course but it, for me it really does solidify the overarching idea that hollywood is just this big conglomerate thing that is always pushing forward and it always pushes forward in whatever way it needs to to survive in the sense that you know what 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 do the movies need to become to keep its audience and to keep people happy and we see that through jack conrad or brad pitt's character where the film starts with him he's in his element and he's talking about He's talking about audiences and like we we need to think of ways to push boundaries to you know to give back to the audience because they've given us so much. He's in this mindset, and what I think is so interesting is that when they see true advancement in in the art form of storytelling and film mm. with the the introduction of sound and talkies, um, so many people struggle to get through it, and so many people are left behind. And I think that's the general idea is that Hollywood always pushes forward at the expense of anything and everything. That, that dwells inside it. And that's kind of my fancy way of saying that this film was always about people destined to fail and to crumble and to either die of, or have you know have an OD or yeah. kill themselves or just all these horrible things that these characters do to each other um, in the wake of change and evolution. And I think, without spoiling the ending, I think that's exactly what that, that alludes to is the fact that Hollywood's this ever-changing beast... And as much as it's great to be in it and to feel like you're making something important and special, much like Manny always talks about wanting to do in the film, um, it's easy to get sucked into it and, lo- and lose sight of all of it. Yeah. 
And I think that that is the through line for the whole film. The film never loses that idea. But going back to just like basic plotting and and u- using your characters in, in really um, sophisticated ways, it goes back to what you said with it being a hot mess. It just feels like a lot of stuff being thrown at the wall. And granted, that's what you know late 20s Hollywood feels like it would have been. Yeah. But... Yeah. It's tricky too because it's like you, what you're trying to do is you're in, you're you're trying to capture that chaos and yes. that animal almost animal the raw animal that was the the ever changing Hollywood landscape the rattling and, snake yeah <laughs> if you will but it's really interesting because and I think this is why I brought Wolf of Wall Street up because mm. Wolf of Wall Street is what Scorsese is trying to do with that film is sort of in a way kind of capture that same essence at least like mm. the golden especially in the they're all midpoint of the film when when Jordan's at his highest point and the company is just it's just Racking a zoo. And, it's yeah. just a zoo, and it's it's this the intoxication of the chaos and stuff. And you know, it's especially you know after like that I'm not leaving scene, and and you just watch everyone people shaving people's heads. People, there's just <laughs> everything going on. I mean, there's there's throwing like like this, you know, like it's just insane, and. I definitely think that's what Shell's trying to capture here. Is it's just a collection of random, almost anthological events. Mm. Um, but that was what Hollywood's like, you know. Manny is simply our vessel to, to yes. take us to all of these absurd things, which is, you know, to an extent, sort of what what Wahlberg is in in Boogie Nights or our main characters in Licorice Pizza. Their their story is is very ordinary, but they're mm. in an extraordinary world around yeah. them and. Um, it's just I think it's just messier in its sort of l- delivery and not mm. in a like there's an art there's artist like an artistic way of it but there's also sometimes it just feels like we're just trying to be funny or oh, I don't really understand what we're we're trying to achieve or even yeah. if we talk about singing in the rain you know we're talking about like the when when sound comes to cinema and we're kind of seeing the same jokes that we're in singing yes. in the rain play out the same scenes really yeah but they're obviously just taking the censorship off it <laughs> and well it's kind of ironic because you talk about things like i mentioned the haze code earlier which is kind of the official terminology for what like you know this whole film goes through the arc of them trying to become more sophisticated people and speaking getting rid of the Brooklyn accent and things like that. That's kind of the encapsulation of that whole period of Hollywood of which Singing in the Rain was made within. So in terms of censorship versus this version of the story without the censorship, that's exactly what the the key difference is there. And that's why I didn't realise how intricately tied this film is to Singing in the Rain until I watched it. And I was like, oh, this really is self-aware, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably part of the rejection there, isn't it? Like... Mm. Because you're basically, I think, you know, we're talking about that divisive nature. It's because to have that audacity to compare themselves to arguably, I mean, most people put it as the the best musical of all time. Sure. It's in the conversation for greatest film of all time. Um, definitely the greatest Hollywood film of all mm. time. Um, and you have the audacity to then go and, and try and create this sort of, Oh, but this is what Singing in the Rain was really like. Mm. It's I think it becomes people get defensive or they reject it because it's it's almost like a sacred space. Right. Sometimes. 
and it's good to challenge the you know the mold and i think the backlash was almost predicted and maybe that's why we have so many people that are like yes no like we're getting that mm. ryan johnson polarizing <laughs> opinions at times um where it's very brave to sort of challenge it and you know the the grim realities of of some of these actors and and people that like you said were people of the of this silent era going into they just couldn't cut it mm. is quite grim and not very not very positive and for all of these stars that were made of many stars had to fall yeah or not even I mean, be born I mean, in the first place literally yeah a star is born sort of comparison there um, which has its own many iterations over the decades but to to that point where it's like yeah this is sort of this the darker version of sinning in the rain you compare those two scenes where it's in one it's very comical and you know, she's turning her head and the sounds all messed up and it's funny and we're yeah. laughing and um and then you look at this where it's like people died <laughs> trying to master this technology the people in these hot boxes with the cameras and they they just they heat stroked and died and it's and like the the first ad is like yelling all this horrible stuff because he's so frustrated people keep walking in the room and i feel that happens. i feel that <laughs> <laughs> oh, i was dying laughing during that scene man it was so funny but yeah it was i i think Do you have a little side to, joke to, with andy no it, for him it was mostly just the sound okay. because it, because in that um for those who don't know andy newcomb he did the sound on skin and blister yeah. And um, you know he's he's doing his PhD and and made his most recent short film around sound and everything, so he was mostly just enjoying all the fact that like oh look this set actually like caters towards sound. <laughs> it's like so I think he was getting more of a laugh out of yeah. just that notion, um, and then it goes back to like Margot Robbie trying to hit her her cue on the floor, um, hit her marks I should say, mm. and where the mic is placed and things like that. But I see I don't know if that's necessarily where the division derides from because yeah it's kind of like it's challenging this beloved classic of a film with this much darker interpretation of his events so where do you think the division lies in i feel like i mean first off it's a very politically incorrect film so i think it could just be simply that but it it really is just a dark like void in a lot of ways and i i think I understand what it's trying to say about how hollywood prevails and it's going to lose people in all these tragic ways to that beast but i i think it really does walk a tightrope between glamorizing these awful things and and not really saying anything about how we can improve ourselves it's kind of almost saying this is just it it's just a blanket statement without any real idea of like this was actually what it was kind of like in that sense well yeah and i think if i look at the sydney palmer character in particular who obviously deals with a lot of racism in, in, in small ways and bad ways throughout the film. Obviously, he has to do blackface at one point um, with the coal and just, like, the way people talk to him at, like, the fancy, um, you know, lunch event, whatever it is. It's like that... To me, all of that just felt like just a reminder of, like, this is no different than today. Like, is this really any different than how we treat people today? And I feel like part of that film's part of this film's messaging of being like nothing has changed and walking that tightrope of whether it's glamorizing the events of the late 20s where i mean i miss when we were able to to do coke at every party and and people were dying left right and center and there were these big orgies i miss those days i think maybe that's where it's coming from i could be completely wrong well did you 
like the film or not like the film? What's sort of your... T- <laughs> it's a complex question, isn't it? Well, that that's it, because I'm like, yes, it's divisive, and I'm sure there's different, there's varying different I things think, at it's, play. It's really hard, and maybe it's a film that will require, like, digestion over time. Yep. Um, maybe it's a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood situation. Sure. I think you're right. Maybe it's just not a very consumable film um, on the on the surface. I mean, there are a lot of things that that aren't aren't working for it. It's mm. it, it's got very grim subject matter at times. It's not really positive in any way, shape, or form. And to be honest, the comedy is clearly there sometimes to compensate for how grim realities mm. are there. I think there, are, I get a little frustrated, like on the the focus on on certain subject matter that feels a little now cliche because I feel like it's been touched on. Like the the crime underbelly of Hollywood is a, mm-hmm. a narrative often explored and is one of the few sort of story driving points or plot driving points that you know gets sort of Manny out of the country and mm-hmm. stuff. And I think it's a very It, not it's like a really noir way to end. It's just a very, film, like, yeah. oh, okay, well, yeah. And, yeah, ironically, yeah, probably an ode to the 1940s sort of noir world where, you know, even the ones set in, you know, we, we mm. did um, what we did, The Stranger, didn't know What did we do? We did Double Indemnity. Double, double, double Indemnity, year, think, which yeah. is a sort of a crime film that sets itself in the Beverly Hills sort of area. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think that that to me felt a little like the, okay, well, what little story that, well, what cons, the thread that actually exists here doesn't actually feel as very promising or very engaging, but then yeah. it is tough, you know, as a film lover, you watch a film like this and you know, this is coming from a person that does love film yeah, and clearly loves film and, there are moments where you're completely caught up in that the awe of spectacle, which is which I reckon Chazelle's ten times better at than like Baz Luhrmann is. Oh yeah, well just like he's like extravagant um, like wonders in this film that we keep entering in and out of these big mansions and just like the blocking of all the orgies and everything. It's all great stuff. It's yeah, all coordinated and, really but well. It, and it goes beyond that. It's not just in this film it's in La La Land it's mm. even in First Man like the aura spectacle doesn't come with a lot of people there it comes from a feat of, of like that opening shot with the with the when Gosling's in in space mm. like those sequences or even when he gets to the moon and the, the just the breath and stuff like that aura yeah. of spectacle is always a big thing with him and it's even in things like Whiplash where it's like you know these like we were talking about these two piece films but the final, the finale of that, mm. which is just this, you know, this music spectacle, um, he's very enticing in that way, and try, and I think it lures you in, and you definitely buy in for for a period. But I, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> it's tough. <laughs> I think I think the key, and I just kind of thought about it then, is it's not even so much like the lack of plot, but just the the pacing. And I think for me, it's when you finally get to the Tobey Maguire scene, and at that point, you're kind of not you're not checked out, but you're also like, I kind of just have no feel for how far into the narrative we are at this yeah. point. Whereas, like whereas that t- that is the moment when things are okay. From this point on, everything is funneling towards the end of the story with what happens to Nelly, what happens to yeah. Manny, um, who dies, who lives. Or that that's the point when it all starts funneling toward an ending, but you don't feel that watching the film because it's like, oh, here's this like 
elongated scene where we get to enjoy Tobey Maguire act again for a while. And I, I think it's the pacing that's the issue. Mm. Where it's like, I don't know where this is yeah, all funneling Three to. hours and ten minutes, that's just too long. It's in, mm. I really feels it. Like, and I actually, I did say this about Wolf of Wall Street too, which is also, I think, three plus hours. Yeah. That last act to me, like, post while they're in the, the yacht storm. Oh, yeah. Like, post that. Yeah, I kind of forget what really happens in the film after that, to be honest. It, it's... Generally, yeah. Yeah, it's... And there's still, like, 45 minutes left in the <laughs> film at that point. And you're like, okay... Yeah, I'm, I'm checking slowly checking out of this film at yeah. this point. And Licorice Pizza was always good because it always had that very simple thread just coming through and that slow build of that relationship happening. And that it was so natural and awkward and organic that mm. little things like little hand touches on mattresses oh, yeah, build you scene. to the next, like, the next part of this little anthology film, you yeah. know. And, you know, it, I think PTA does really well with that. And he does it well in Boogie Nights, too. And I just think, yeah, with this film, the the first act's really engaging and fun and, and sort of draws you in. And But, yeah, like you said, when we start to introduce ourselves to that Tobey Maguire stuff, we st- you do start to check out a little bit, I think. Well, just, um, just at that point, you're kind of... For me, it wasn't even checking out, but it was just wondering, like... What's left? What's left in this story? If I get it, decay and and depravity and like it's all a down, it's all a sinking ship. Like I got that aspect of it, but yeah, it's just but it's, uh, but it's cyclical, know. isn't it? Mm. I think that's the. I mean, the ending teaches us that yeah. when he looks and sees singing in the rain, and he, he's recounting on those those golden years of his Hollywood dream, and yeah. Well, it's kind of this sad way of saying that he kind of achieved what he wanted to do. He always wanted to be a part of something greater and always wanted to make something that lasts. So, you know, that whole spiel that he goes on. And he kind of achieved that because, like, that's his story being told on screen in one of the greatest films of all time. And he, as the camera sort of goes around all the, the audience members where it's, like, different age groups in the cinema. You know, you've got mm. adults and teenagers making out and kids smiling sipping their drinks and yes it's kind of but and it's Steven, it, a young steven spielberg was sitting <laughs> in the it was right there young young sammy fableman but it, it's kind of it, even though that that's a happy moment in a sense and he's crying he's overwhelmed but it, he's recalling back to all these horrible memories it was like all these people died i mean at this point and i'm spoiling the hell out of it at this point who cares but yeah. it's like at this point jack is dead nelly is dead yeah. None of them had very nice exits. No. Even the even the um gossip writer was dead. <laughs> yeah. It's like everything's gone now. It's all gone, but the, but this lasting memory is here on the screen for people to enjoy. Yeah, but Much it's cleaner a, I guess it's that it. bittersweet ending too. And like you said, they're very yeah. tragic endings. Um and but endings that are still reminiscent in, in Hollywood today, you know. We always see yeah. yeah, there's every every year there's always one or two early departures, yeah. shocking departures. Well who, who, someone died in last week too. It was on um Was she on The Last of Us? Yeah, one of the I'll grab her name real quick. She was an actor in the original game and she passed away yesterday, I think. Yeah. Um She was like fifty or something. Annie Annie Wershling, she was 45, died of cancer. That was very upsetting for me to read that this morning. Yeah. And, so um, it's, and you know, it's it's 
Yeah, sort of one of those things. It's interesting, but it's. I think what that ending is also teaching you is, is you know, as filmmakers, it's that uh, mm. it's the labor of love, isn't it? It's yeah. the uh, utter hell people put themselves through. Some t- back then, in particular, risking literally their own lives. Oh yeah, it was a to create trap, a timeless. <laughs> to create this small two-hour experience. Mm. That, you know, and and singing in the rains lived on for forever. It's it's mm. it's an iconic film. It's it's solidified in history. But there are many other films, other projects, and. I like Manny's moment in that where he can find himself in that narrative, but it's like there were many other stories that, you know, never got told. And I think that yeah, film is yeah. film is definitely trying to show that balance there. Yeah, and I think and to take this over to Jack's art cuz I actually think there he could there's a lot that he goes through in this film and like I said earlier he starts in his element and then he struggles to transition over time. I believe he was based on John Gilbert is what I was mm. reading and like that transition and but he ultimately has that big talking to from the from the columnists I forget her name who has that big monologue about you know y- you feel like you're out of touch now or you feel like you can't but like you're still a star mm. and you've made all these films that are going to live on forever and they're going to be they're going to be b- people who were born after you die that feel like they know you because they see you on the big screen and I mean that that obviously ties into everything this film was talking about in this sort of sad way. Mm. But I just I mean the, the, I, for me that's what's so special about cinema is that as long as it's stay it's not stays the way it is, but as long as the film is this sort of untouched relic, and yeah, you, know, you got your George Lucas's out there, they're going to make changes to the film every two years. But with the exception of that, we're watching yeah these things that were created a hundred years ago and interpreting them with our own thoughts and ideas. That's what's so special about film. So I'm glad that speech is in there. But Jack's response to that, it seems like he's gone on a path of acceptance. He looks around at the crew with him. How many films have we been on together? 82. Wow. But then he kills himself. And I was surprised by that, where it's he kind of has accepted his role, that his time has passed, but can't. I don't know. What did you what did you think of the whole Jack arc, so to speak? I think it's I mean it's like you said, it's it's that it's the lens that Chazelle's clearly got this this air of, of cynicism there. Mm. Um maybe perhaps that sometimes uh, your my immediate thought is, well, is that a director being like that or an artist being like, we as artists don't appreciate in the moment really the affirmation that we get from people like mm. the wholehearted affirmation or exactly what we're creating in the moment because we're so caught up in our own ego and our own hubris i mean the fact that um he he mentions oh i've been with you guys for 80 films i mean there's there's you would think there's a bond there of some time yeah. a kinship you know <laughs> we've been on 80 projects together and you guys have risked life to make me look good and but he then opts to kill himself. Yeah, and you, you have to you have to see that as as that's a reflection of, of sort of he could never look past his his own self mm. to an extent. And to be honest, I mean it's a similar arc that Leo undergoes in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 
Except the ending's different. It's, yeah, it has a happy ending. Because Leo <laughs> He's actually helps other people too. Yeah. So he finds reinvigoration in his career, but he also looks beyond himself and, you know, obviously yeah, defends well, he, himself. He decides to do the, the Westerns. Yeah. The, Itali- the Italian movies. And he's rewarded for that yeah. by the by his humbleness in that. And I think here, I mean, I think there's definitely a truth to that in terms of there's almost like a selfishness there where that's why he, he does what he does. But the more I think about it, when I say he's in his element, I'm talking like he's not just a great movie star. He's making phone calls to other stars to get them cheaper on production. So it's, all right, now move the budget over here. He's making comments about the art aging. He's saying, all right, uh, trim off the, the last two frames on this cut and then at the start, let's do that. He's involved in the entire process of filmmaking. Yeah. And I think the fact that he can't be a part of greatness anymore is maybe why he loses his will to live. Is because all of a sudden he doesn't care about working on what he says is a piece of crap. Yes. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I also think the whole selfishness angle of he can't look beyond himself. I think there's a truth to that as well. Because like you said, Leo kind of has a similar arc, but it ends it ends in a completely different way because he accepts the fate. He doesn't just kind of give up. Yeah. And so, yeah. then by proximity then becomes relevant again. Yes, exactly right. So he goes on. To, we imagine goes on to be in a Polanski film and does all these other wonderful things. Yeah. So it's yeah, interesting. The only other person we haven't talked about really, we haven't talked about Faye too much, which I, I think is sort of just an extension of the Sydney storyline, where yeah. it's like she's outed as a lesbian and then sort of forced to move on. Um, which I, I guess is again part of the Hayes Code, where it's like people were totally fine with it in those crazy orgy parties, but all of a sudden it's a problem because now it's going to make gonna make Nelly look bad and blah 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 blah. gets overly politicized and, and all of that but we haven't talked about Nelly too much no now what, what do you what do you think because originally this was going to be Emma Stone that was a big that was a big deal before oh, she, she jumped I, I down I couldn't see Emma Stone in this role interesting this erratic yeah. I mean I think it really helped I think that Robbie is a more palatable character mm. for the or you know, casting because you know you got the Harley Quinn stuff there, so that that sort of little screw loose. Yeah, he's done those kinds of roles before, and even Wolf of Wall Street. The almost famous Kate Hudson, but just that little <laughs> something's not quite there. Yeah. Um, the mystique is not well. The mystique's there, but it's definitely got a slightly crazier person underneath <laughs> it. Um, I think she's really well cast. Mm. I think she's she really the role for sure. And I think, yeah, exactly. I mean, her character is going to always have problems because it's like even then comparing her to like a Penny Lane character, which is what mm. she is. She's a she's a, a a mystical sort of presence, an ethereal Self-proclaimed presence. star. Um, but obviously yeah. has that yeah that grounded realism and cynicism that kind of covets the whole film in it. Mm. Um, her sort of you know her her drug problems are far more. Uh, Apparent and far less subtle than like Penny Lane's woes mm. are, um, but yeah, no, she's she's definitely enticing and interesting. Um, I think that character is sort of a means to end in in a film that's clearly talking about the cynicism of Hollywood and mm. how quick it is to discard its talent. Yeah, yeah, when it's no longer relevant, and then also how a star is born and falls too in itself. You know. Yeah, this... well, she she replaced the girl who OD'd. <laughs> that was a that was a yeah. Pretty much summed it up. 
a, a beautiful glowing way into the industry. <laughs> yeah. but, but but it's something that not like something that's still not far away from the truth now. No, exactly. It's it is scary a, in that sense. It's a machine. Yeah. It's um, an oh, it's a machine that loves to get fed and then people like Nelly you know, she has to be a star. She is a star, I think. It doesn't matter what it takes to sort of succumb to that machine. The thing is that she's got talent because we see that when she does her first scene, and you know the director's like, ah, oh, like you know, she, you know, she her boobs aren't big enough. We don't want her in this. We focus on the men, but then she she swoons her over with like the her ability to like do one tier, two tiers, and do the whole crying thing. So she's got talent, but as soon as she's criticized, she says she's her whole life she's been trying to please everyone around her, and that that's where her gambling and drug addictions come from. And it doesn't come back until all of a sudden she's in talkies and people can hear her. Like, oh, we don't like the Brooklyn accent. Ah, oh, she sucks. Blah, 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 blah. So it is sort of this... She was always doomed to fail in that sense. Yeah. Because Hollywood were never going to give her that Yeah, that she's sort of the other side chance. of singing in the rain. <laughs> the dark, cynical side, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. It's... I... What do you think of her ending? Because it was so... I mean, I guess it can go into that trope of, like, Manny's going to save the girl from her own addictions. They're going to run away and start a family. And she she sort of takes agency in that and decides not to be a part of that, to yeah. dance off into the darkness, never to be seen again. But it is, it is sad. Sorry? Dead at 34. Dead at 34, yeah. It's sad. It really is. And it's like, I, I really did care for that character. Yeah. And, I, like, I wanted her to have a I happy future, but you know, Hollywood was never going to give her that. You've, you've watched countless sort of, you know, I mean, it's, you can go through, all throughout history, you've got Marilyn Monroe, and yes. you've got countless musicians and artists, I mean, we did Amy not too long ago, mm. and we, you know, we talk about a very similar sort of cycle of, of abuse and trying to please everyone, and um, leading to that eventual demise, and I think it's really interesting, because that character unfortunately addiction as a writer in, a, in from a film point of view as a writer you've got one of two avenues to go mm-hmm. yep and this film was never going to lean to the saving side it, it just doesn't no it's not that <laughs> it's not that kind of story no um, no you're right she, but has, she to, is. has the tragic ending I, I really do see this as this is that. another positive notch in Margot Robbie's performance in Belt because what she does with the material and the character is thoroughly engaging. Mm. Um, it's the world around it sometimes I find I lie adrift. But I mm. like her character. Um, she she makes that... She plays that Penny Lane archetype really well. Yeah. I know... I, my understanding, she was based on uh, Clara Bow was the sort of the I guess the image they were using I think she in turn was also the reference in Sinning in the Rain there's a bit of a turnaround there I have to ask before we move on Zeke yeah we, t- we did talk about the ending quite a bit we are got to talk about specifically the moment when it just starts flashing it's almost like the projector fails you've got like all the solid colours there the blue and the, the green and all that but then you just got flashes of all these films seemingly random films but very clear they're going through the history 100 years of filmmaking starting with the, the horse imagery we've seen in Nope for example and yeah. going through to the ages very as recently as Avatar now in cinemas watch Avatar next door <laughs> now most, most people I talk to loathe the ending hate this because it's very on the nose it's very on the nose and... I 
I don't hate it so much. I think it's just awkward that when you see something like, like a film montage celebrating the history of film and then you see Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park and Avatar and like much more recent films, it just feels weird. Yeah. Um, and we, me and Andy were joking, like, oh, were they all with Paramount? They, they weren't, but... <laughs> I think... Well, what 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 was your... I think I've sort of cracked the specific reasons for those film choices. Uh, I don't I don't know what your thinking is in regard to why they picked the films I think, they did. Um, okay, well, because there's a couple of ways you can go about this. This this sequence is clearly showing Chazelle's love for just the world of cinema, the yep. life of cinema, cinema in a hundred and you know, well, sound cinema in, in the last 90-something years, mm. you know, 94, 95 years. And, but then there's that, I guess that's that, for me, I guess I, I come back to, I think one of the reasons people loathe the ending is there's a, there's a certain amount of ego that comes with this ending, I think, from a director point of view, from a film point of view, to think your film is the sort of the epitome of what how this all started this this the life of hollywood started mm. versus the this ending of of this almost coyanescotsy con, concophony <laughs> of 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 cinematic yeah. masterpieces so many scene into the future in this moment <laughs> yeah or the space odyssey yeah space yeah, odyssey space where, in there. where you know he's you know dave's going through the the, the time warp yeah um, yeah um and i think there's a sense of ego to think that your film is this quintessential hollywood this is like the odyssey of hollywood three right. hour epic odyssey of 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 hollywood narrative the heartbreaks the everything you know you're getting the most authentic original hollywood experience talking about one of the uh, talking about in reference to one of the films that talked about the authentic horror mm. was, and now we're going to show you what hollywood basically the montage that every teacher shows their students on the first day <laughs> of teaching film <laughs> look at the history of film yeah. um I think that people loathe it from that point of view because it just feels so, very yeah. uh, okay. Well, how good do you th- like? Why do you think that that's the ending that needs to be there? Yeah, do you I, get where I'm coming from with I it? I do. I do. I don't. I don't. I think I'm trying to give Damien Chazelle the benefit of the doubt in that. I'm gonna go with it was love over ego. Yes. Yes. Like I'm a pure I'm with fanboy that. affirmation. And and the thing is. Because like a trip to the moon, great train, bro- that's all in there as well. And then like there, there even is that mm. uh, two thousand one flash in there. But then specifically, I wrote those down: the Terminator, Jurassic Park, the Matrix is in the Avatar. These are all films that were technological leaps and advancements in their own areas of Hollywood. Like we didn't see CGI like Jurassic Park did until after Jurassic Park did it. Now, I remember Andy was saying maybe you could even fit Star Wars in there if you wanted to, and just in terms of film, uh, Tron was in there. Tron was another one. Yeah, Tron, Tron was huge. I think films I that think that becomes very apparent. You know, mm. when you see Tron, I think you're right with the technological leaps that we yeah. make that lead to almost the previous era f- falling into irrelevancy. Yeah, this idea that like Hollywood is just ebbing and flowing, and there's always things that are advancing the way we we make mm. films and watch films and. I think because there's that specificity in there, I think most of the films you can tie to a moment in time in Hollywood when that happened. Um, I mean, Avatar, it was the big big 3D movement. You know, we always talk about that. So I think I give it a pass because of that. I Look, I, there's definitely a better way to do that kind of scene, sure. Doesn't it feel like but, the most film school 
like idea. Like he <laughs> like he made it up in film school and he went, This was gonna be epic and he finally got to do it and everyone's like, That was a really lame dude. <laughs> it was lame, bro. Yeah. Our whole childhood's been like that. I finally wow. have the ability to do Oh, it sucks. Oh, <laughs> uh, Zeke, what was your highlight scene for Babylon? Hmm. I'm gonna go with okay. I'm gonna go with that's a stew. Um, it's a good word, stew. I did have to stew. <laughs> I did really like the authentic depiction of the the introductions, the, the singing in the rain, sort of polarizing mm. scene. What it was like to work with the sound. Can and I say that's my highlight scene as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think it's because it, arguably, I think we sat down with singing in the rain and made that our highlight scene too. So <laughs> goes to show. I think yeah. it's. I think it's just fun. I think maybe it could be um, bias re- relevancy for being back on a set. It's always nice to get that's back. That's true. Into yeah, that, we we just had that <laughs> that world mindset of of. Thank God Mike's a wireless now, Zeke. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have worked. Oh, God. Yeah. But yeah, was, you're right. I think it's just the inside baseball aspect of it, and it, it's just so funny. Yeah. You know, seeing everyone in their respective roles, like, lose their shit. And... Yeah, I, I don't know. It was a bit of a gu- guilty pleasure funny moment yeah. for them. And then, That's for the yeah. filmmakers more than anything. Though. Yeah, of like, course. There's a but, subtextual... But in terms of, like, showing in, like, a bubble, here's, like... When people say, like, oh, why did they struggle to transition from, from you know, uh, silent films to talkies? Like, that's a great bubble that really does explain that. Like, mm. well, he, here are just, like, the literal things people had to learn to figure out uh, in terms of their voice delivery. Because we always talk about, like, theatrical performances, and there are some that are more suited for plays than, than screen because they're sort of for bigger, wider audiences. You, your voice is going to hit the back of the theatre. And it's like, that was part of the transition. Yeah. It's people who either only did that or didn't have to talk at all on, on camera. And just like how... to look good. Yeah, the fact that they never slated before, hitting marks with microphones, that was never a thing. I mean, they, had to, they would have to pull focus, I imagine. Oh, maybe none of those very early cameras. Probably not. No. I'm not sure. Yeah, so to that point, um, I, I thought that was a really funny scene. And, and you know what? The clapping at the end when they finally get that one take, and it was like, yes, we did it, oh my God, fine. That's a disaster artist. When they finally get one clean take <laughs> with Tommy Wiseau. It's the exact same scene. Great energy. Yeah. That's what you want. You know what's funny, Zeke? What? Seeing this film, first time ever, open captions in the cinema. You know you go on the Hoyt's website, it always has CC in the corner. Oh, yeah. So you went to one that was for those who are like got I think there were definitely a couple people at the front of the cinema who were very clearly hard of hearing and or deaf. And we had to be very polite about that because of making a lot of noise during the screening. But yes, I was very shocked about that. All of a sudden, there were subtitles. Not even subtitles, captions. So every every now and then, during a random dialogue scene, it would just be a caption, cow moos. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Not yeah. too distract, like too distracting. No, you get you get used to it after a while. Because like we've obviously we've seen like foreign language films yeah. in cinemas, but like you have to read those subtitles. So in this, I'm actively trying to avoid them because I want to appreciate the visuals. Um, so, we, but I never, I've never had that before. Going into a cinema with open captures by mistake. There you go. So I, I, I thought that was interesting. Babylon is currently out in cinemas near you. Speaking of cinemas, Jack, what's new to <laughs> cinemas and streaming platforms this week? It's actually a very quiet week. 
surprised about that. Coming to Netflix, you've got True Spirit, which is the true story of the Australian teenager Jessica Watson, the youngest person to sail around the world solo. I actually read the book on her. I remember many, her doing many, it. Many, many years ago, yeah. She did it in like 2006, seven. Yeah, it was around, I think, about 11 months, wasn't it? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, I, I, I read the book in high school, I think, and I did an essay on it. Yeah. Um. So it's cool. It took a while. Holy hell. It took a long time for them to make that movie. Yeah, it's I guess It's coming so. out this, this week. Wow. There you go. What's coming to Netflix? You've got The Black Phone, which I'm very excited to see, and uh, Gunner's Millions, a limited series about the world's richest dog. I'm going to have to watch to find out what that's all about. <laughs> should ask him to donate to Indiegogo. <laughs> yeah, Gunner, I want your millions in skin and blister. Do it now. Uh, coming to Disney Plus, you've got the five-time Academy nominee, Wakanda Forever. So there you go. If you want to see how it relates to the Oscar discussion, it's there on Disney Plus. You've also got Orphan First Kill coming to Prime and The Ledge coming to Binge, which sees a climber trapped on the face of a mountain fight off four killers hanging 20 feet above her. It's kind of like that tower. What's that tower film they did recently where these two girls are stuck on like this giant antenna tower thing? They can't oh, get down. Oh, I remember what you're it's, talking it's about. It's called something. My brother saw it. Yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about, though. It reminds me of that a bit. And coming to cinemas, we have Knock at the Cabin, the latest film from M. Night Shyamalan, and sees a young girl and her parents taken hostage and forced to make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. Yeah. And that sounds like one of his films. <laughs> that does indeed. And finally, The Honeymoon sees Adam and Sarah embark on a romantic honeymoon in Venice before it's gate crashed by Adam's friend, Ed. Good old Ed. Damn Ed. Yeah, guy, bloody, just, just ruin the honeymoon, man. Yeah. But yeah. That is, that is never going to happen to me. Oh, very good. You're not going to tell anyone where your no. honeymoon is. That's correct. <laughs> it's going to be a big secret. Just make sure it's not on Instagram at any point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, it, or it's afterwards. Yes. I remember someone telling me that when I went to Albany with Kirsty. I remember someone saying that, like, don't post where you are, mate. I think because, like, I was away from home. I was like, I didn't post anything until, like, a week after we got back. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That's a thing. Someone I remember someone telling me that. Oh, okay. Don't Great. post where you are live. We're scary, learning. Scary times. But that's it. That's all that's coming to cinemas and streaming this week's week. Beautiful. Well, we're not covering any of those next week on the show. No, we're not. We're going to be covering <laughs> one of the other Oscar-nominated films. But, Jake, mm. what are we watching? Next week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Tar. Time is the thing. Time is the essential piece of interpretation. You cannot start without me. I start the clock. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means time stops.
Renowned musician Linda Tarr is only days away from recording the symphony that will elevate her career. Spicy. Spicy. I've, I've left out half the logline because there's things in there. I was like, oh, I didn't want to know that. I didn't want to know that. I want to, I want to experience this film fresh, man. Very exciting. You know what I mean? But I, I am very excited. This could be an Oscar front runner for me personally. Yeah. I'm very excited to see her performance. It sounds like a great film. No worries. Well, until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Star Show podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with Ta. 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 Ta.